This is Laughing Your Mask Off. But before we begin, we want to see you at our show at the Duplex at 8 p.m. on May 16th in New York City, featuring wonderful comedians who have been on this show so far. Tickets to the show can be found in our Instagram bio and on purplepass.com. Come listen to the guests you've heard on this podcast. Do the thing they're good at. Now on with the pod. Welcome to Laughing Your Mask Off, the podcast where we talk to comedians about navigating the world of comedy since the pandemic. I'm Katherine Cowan. And I'm Carly Palestina. And today we're talking to the tall and lanky John Marco Ceresi. Yay! Hello, hello. Welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. So to get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, like general life story, whatever you want to share? World is your oyster. Sure. I am a child of divorce who thought I could fill the void uh, left from a broken home by uh, getting the adulation of strangers on stage doing theater. And then when that didn't work out, I moved on to stand-up comedy in New York City, and I'm now touring the country. That's awesome. So how did you get started in comedy? So what, like, what was the... The beginning. I, I really, it was a, it was just failing at acting uh, led me to comedy. People, <laughs> they, they asked me at shows like I'm in Oklahoma City right now, and they say, "Oh, how's your acting career going?" I say, "How often did you see Meryl Streep headline the Looney Bin in Oklahoma <laughs> City for 17 people on Wednesday night?" So I think I, I always liked comedy. I, I liked stand up. Uh, I was of the generation of uh, Dane Cook and Dave Chappelle was everything in high school. So I did this play. I had a friend who saw me do it. She was a producer and she was like, you're good at this. And uh, I just dove right in. It was tough in the beginning. Um, I had to learn how to write jokes, like really hard jokes, uh, which I did through doing roast battles. I learned a lot from doing roast battles. And then I just kind of got hooked. And before I knew it, I was doing stand up every night. Interesting. That's awesome. Wait, so you kind of started with roast battles. Um, the way yeah, yeah. I was I was doing some stand up like you know these bringer shows where I, if if it was a sold out room, I could I could kind of ride just on my charisma. Uh, but roast battles, when I like did it for the first time, what I I mean I was terrible. The first time I was terrible, and it's because it was the kind of format where you can't really ride on your stage presence. You have to ride on the joke and the surprise of the joke. And um, that's what I credit to learning kind of how to write. Awesome. So we really actually haven't talked about roast battles a lot on this podcast, but they're a huge part of kind of the comedy world. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience with them and really just Yeah, well, I guess... I imagine most people know what roast battles are, but it, it was it kind of have it, had its heyday a couple of years ago. It's still around. It basically uh, it allows you. It's kind of like a writing exercise. Like if you were taking a, a stand up class, um, this this would be a good way to learn because it's very straightforward in what your goal is. You have an opponent. You're trying to say something mean about them. You're trying to insult them in a way that uh, is surprising, gets a pop from the audience. In terms of roast battles, there really isn't much of a like mid-level tepid laughter. You either get people to laugh 
because you've achieved the goal of making fun of them in a way no one saw coming or or it was predictable or it wasn't mean enough or it wasn't surprising or it wasn't obvious it was too obvious and um that you can take that formula and apply it to kind of most your stand-up it kind of creates a bar of oh, oh a joke needs to be funny enough to to get this much of a reaction for it to be worth saying on stage and uh you you also learn a little about yourself um like one roast battler jp mcdade he said about me i look uh i look like before i tell a joke i whisper to myself a five six seven eight and it was like <laughs> he captured in a, in a way, it, it taught me, oh, this is what I'm giving off on stage. I, I'm a theater kid. I have this kind of energy. And uh, hearing him say that teaches me about how I'm perceived uh, in a way that I can play with, hopefully. Um, and it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, there are certain topics that have, have hurt my feelings. Uh, uh, and then, you know, it can be very dark. I'm sure there's some roast battle worlds where it may be a little gentler or there might be some sense of propriety, but the one I started with, which was comedy fight club. I mean, if you had a, a parent who had recently died, you, you better buckle up because that's what all the jokes are going to be about. And I understand if someone's like, oh, that's not really my cup of tea. I can't blame anyone for that. But uh, but even even that like I I've been using a joke in my act now that I used in a roast battle like two years ago, um, where his the the opponent his name's James Pontillo his mom had died and I said oh James your your mom will be at all your shows in spirit just like when she was alive. And I use that in one of, uh, in my thing now, where I talk about my dad had heart surgery. And that's what he told me. He said, if I don't make it, I want you to know I'll be at all your shows in spirit. And I was like, oh, just like when you were alive. So <laughs> so these jokes come in handy. These jokes come in handy. Um, and it's just like a good exercise. It takes a lot of time. Um, and uh, I don't really do them anymore because it just, it's huge. If you want to be good, you got to write a lot of jokes. And a lot of them aren't good enough. So, so yeah, I'm a big fan of roast battles. And I, I think it's a great way to start uh, and learn how to write a very specific kind of tight one-liner joke. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you go against like a lot of, because I know a lot of people I know who do roast battles like pretty frequently usually go like, they're like, oh, this is a good friend of mine. And I'll go with that friend. Did you always like roast one of your friends or how did you? How did it I think when I started comedy, I just started so late that like, I didn't have those close friends in stand-up yet. So I have a couple now. But again, it's harder. The closer you are, the meaner it could get. Um, <laughs> I, I once I, – I dated a comedian and we broke up. And uh, the, the organizer of Roast Battle was doing a Valentine's Day roast and was like, oh, would you two roast each other? And I was like, are you out of your fucking mind? Are you out of your fucking <laughs> mind? The things – the things we could say about each other are so brutal and vicious uh, uh, that there was no way. There was no way I was going to do that. That's so funny. I feel like roast battles are really like the roller coasters of the comedy world. Like nothing terrifies me more, but they seem fascinating. <laughs> They're very scary. They're very scary. And like, I, I remember I used to be terrified. I still can get nervous about it for sure. 
Um, and when you lose, I mean, you just really feel it. You really feel that bomb because everyone knows what you were hoping for with yeah. every line you say. Uh, so, so yeah, but it's fun. And I like watching it because it's, people have to be inventive. Everyone, you have to create, what's a new way to call someone a pedophile? A lot of them have been done. So you got to really search. You got to really dig deep to find something that's surprising. I feel like that's a really good pull quote for this episode. It's like, what's a new way to call someone a pedophile? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, so uh, you started out a lot of roast battles, a lot of other things. Flash forward a bit to right before the pa- pandemic or like early history before that. What did your life in comedy look like then? So I, it felt like things were, were progressing. I um, had a couple headlining dates, like weekends coming up. Uh, the weekend of March 2020, the weekends, and June. I think June was going to be my first uh, three weekends in a row on the road. And they weren't, I think they were kind of like independent rooms. I don't think they were comedy clubs. The money was like brutal. I would probably be losing money on the trip. But it felt like, okay, I'm starting, I'm, I'm uh, reaching this sort of next phase of my life where I can go out and do an hour somewhere and explore some new stuff. And I had merch, I had the tickets booked, and uh, uh, it was going to be a great year. <laughs> then what <laughs> happened? <laughs> so the pandemic was, was uh, we were hearing about it. Um, I remember Rachel McCartney, who's a, a very good comedian and also one of the smarter of the community. She posted on Facebook a very kind of dire statement like, guys, I don't think you understand. I'm misquoting completely, but like sort of a degree of like, guys, I don't think you understand what's about to happen. Um, and we should not be doing shows right now. And it was right at that precipice where like, I was, I felt anxious. I was like, do I cancel things? Do I not go to things? Uh, I was fortunate in that, like, I wasn't like a nationally touring headliner where people are coming to see my shows and I'm saying no to thousands of dollars and whatnot. Um, but I had a headlining weekend uh, or maybe just a Saturday in Atlantic City coming up. And um, that's Saturday. And I think the 15th was a Monday. And that's for me, that's when everything really shut down. Or maybe that's when the headlining weekend was. But I, I canceled it. And I felt, I felt awful. I, I was scared. You get scared when you cancel on these clubs. I'm not a name. So like you're, you get nervous. They'll never book you again. Uh, luckily, the booker was, was very uh, considerate given the circumstances and said, like, I understand. Um, so I, I canceled two headlining shows in Atlantic City which felt very, uh, it felt like a tough decision. And um, I remember the Friday before the Monday is when everything shut down in New York. Uh, that Friday before I went to the gym at Blink Fitness because I, I was also like, is this going to be my last time going to the gym for a while? And someone texted me, hey, I'm doing a show at Harlem Shake, which was a, a burger place. I mean, not a comedy venue do you want to close it out? And I was, again, I was like, I don't know what's about to happen. And I, I left the gym early, went over in shorts and a tank top sweaty, went to Harlem shake, which was near where I lived 
and I performed 15 minutes on like a very shitty mic and amp that you could hold in your hand. And um, that was my last live set for four months or something. Wow. Did you get the sense that like everything, like was everything in the country kind of closing at that point? Or was it like, no, like it was like New York, New York, New York was early. I don't know if New York was the first one or not to shut things down, but we had, I mean, we had no idea. Like I remember uh, wondering like which of my April dates I would still get to do. And it, especially at that beginning point, I mean, that was the worst. That was the worst by far. Cause it just felt like after two weeks, suddenly the first show in April was like, Hey, we're going to call it. And then, and then the rest of April got canceled and you were like, Oh, this won't affect my wedding, my private wedding gig in June. And then before you knew it, everything was just canceled and nothing was getting planned and no one knew anything. And it was just like, we're not making plans. Everything's canceled. Who knows? And it was, it was terrifying, terrifying. That's such a, um, kind of almost a weirdly ceremonious cutoff that you have where you're like, I don't know, this is it. Like, I know the last time because I feel like so many people got hit out of the blue in a way where they're like, oh, my last time was like coming up. And so I guess the last time was the last time. But it's interesting that you have such a specific like, well, <laughs> going out on this one, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was just, I just think the, those first couple of months were so scary because we didn't know if, there was like some people being like, oh, stand-up won't come back till 2023. Everyone's messing with projections. Yeah. Some some people are like, we'll never do indoor gatherings again. And it was hard to parse out like uh, hyperbolic anxiety versus the truth versus, you know, as we know now that Americans at a certain point will go, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, we're going to do it anyway. Um, what did you find yourself do- doing during the pandemic, comedy-wise? Like, how did you stay active? Did you? No wrong answers. <laughs> yeah, it was it was hard. I, like, for a while, I remember I would, like, say some of my stand-up, so sad, say some of my stand-up out loud in my bedroom just to, like, do it just to keep it in my brain. I didn't want to be like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to say any of these words for months. Uh, but that got bored and, and boring. And then I did TikToks and I just like, I was fortunate that I, I, I didn't invent it, but just telling jokes, looking at the camera and then adding captions and that kept me occupied. And luckily everyone was, was quarantined. So, so I was able to get some traction and then when Zoom shows came along, I think I was pretty early to being like, all right, let's do this. Um, and I write in a way that it was it was good for Zoom shows. I, I, I write, you know, uh, kind of one-liners, strict punchlines in a way where I could hit the punchline, see how it worked, and then moved on. And I even wrote some new material over Zoom which I would rather kill myself than do ever again. It was very hard. <laughs> it was very hard because like, sometimes it would do better on Zoom than it deserved um, because you know the relationship, you're at home, you hear a punchline and you know what your role is. 
you the audiences are trying to like be giving to to make the experience worth it um and then if you weren't writing strict punchlines if you were like doing a monologue or a story it was just hard you're you're just staring at the screen being like okay that worked okay that worked it it was just like the ruler was very inconsistent and i i would say that when a joke didn't work i i couldn't tell if it was a, a bad wi-fi or a terrible audience and um it's uh, i said it, it was never the joke itself so <laughs> it's it, it 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 was hard uh but i leaned in because i didn't know what else to do i i some people you know maybe they wrote a pilot or they wrote a screenplay but i had put all my eggs in the stand up basket and uh that's not the smart thing to do but sometimes that's what you have to do to succeed in an art form and i just kept writing and um and the moment i remember going out running and seeing people in central park like huge swaths of people gathered outdoors and i was like feels like you could do a comedy show and uh of course within weeks people realized that and produced shows and um the first show i did stand up new york was doing a show they did it on a truck bed and it was not good timing cuz it was right as the black lives matter uh, march marches were going on in new york so like we were like comedy is back and in the background you were hearing like <laughs> no justice no peace fuck these racist <laughs> ass police and i got thrown on the show last minute i wasn't i wasn't booked initially and it, it kind of sucked cuz like i i wasn't uh successful enough to be like on that first slate of shows so it felt very depressing to be like oh shows are back but i'm not getting booked on them and there's no way to move up in comedy now um <laughs> but they threw me on i went it was about an hour and a half or so into the show i told one new joke that had been working on zoom and it bombed um and so all of a sudden i'm like oh all those jokes i i got on zoom are worthless and uh i went into my second joke and the police came by and shut down the entire show oh my god so my my first show back one joke bombed didn't even get to the second joke and it was shut down um and th- there weren't a lot of outdoor shows happening yet so like i didn't know when i would get another shot but i walked home with my my friend jay jordan uh and just like tried to ask for his sympathies um and it was awful 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 uh i felt terrible on stage i felt nervous i was shaky and i was like man i, I lost it all i lost it all um and fortunately stand up new york and a bunch of other places started doing a bunch of outdoor shows and i did everything i could i did everything i could and between that and the zoom shows i did a lot of zoom still uh, especially the the winter of 2020 i did corporate zooms i would do 4 hours of zoom shows some days and i made good money it was it was tough and i would lose my voice cuz i was like yelling at my laptop trying to like as if as if i could engage it into being a living being <laughs> um but i made some money i i worked out some stuff i again i it was very challenging to work out material over zoom and uh it it was awful it it felt depressing and it feels sad to do a show close your laptop and you're alone you're just a schmuck alone in your room um but 
I I had to, and and I was I did it out of fear. I did it out of fear of I still act now and then. I I have some other things I do, but stand up is my main thing. That's what I'm I'm good at, and that's where all my work and hours have gone into. So I was terrified, and I just said to myself, I got to do all these things to to meet people and work with people so that when it comes back, if it comes back, however it comes back, I will know where, when, and I'll be part of the conversation. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's like very impressive to have like stayed active for that time. I remember it was like so stressful, not stressful, but like kind of like concerning health wise to be like, I was like, I'm staring at my computer screen, like between like work and comedy and everything. You're staring at your computer for like the whole day. So yeah, it's, that was definitely a a tough time. And I didn't have to make like, you know, I, I, if COVID happened again now, I am now touring enough and I know enough comedy clubs that I would have to ask myself when I said COVID happening again now, it is happening right now. But I mean, like (laughs) if it got bad again, there was, there was a real crux uh, where Florida had reopened or some states had reopened. And my my general Twitter community of of liberals was uh, saying, how dare you? Don't go. Don't do this. And and, you know, some some comedians were like, hey, this is my livelihood or, you know, what do you expect me to do? You're telling me don't work the states that are open. I did not have to make really those tough choices because I wasn't booked. Now I'm kind of in a little bit of the club scene to a degree on the road. And and I would have to decide those things. But I don't envy the people who had to make those decisions. Um, and, you know, as our, our first global pandemic, we were all figuring out what are what are our moral responsibilities? What if it's a job counts? Um, it was it was hard. And I definitely like it was interesting because I have a lot of friends in Los Angeles and New York was always a couple months ahead of Los Angeles. So when the clubs reopened in New York, there was still a contingency of New Yorkers that were like, don't do this. You're bad to do it. And it was like, well, if you're participating in the comedy world, what are you going to do? You're not going to do the shows. And then you're going to what come back when it's safe, whatever that means. No one's going to have you. The spaces will have been filled. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was hard and i think we're all we're all assessing our morality and how we feel in terms of like what's our responsibility there's some people now who would who think it's insane to be in a venue where they don't make everyone wear masks and i'm like i'm not there you know i that i've made that decision i i can't hide it um so it's 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 very challenging Thing. And none of us are paid enough to, to, you know, be more selective or you have to be very successful. You have to be wildly successful to exist in New York and only perform at places that require masks. <laughs> that's, you know, God yeah. bless. If anywhere, I don't even know if I've seen a venue that's required masks in months. I don't think I've so seen, either. Yeah. I just saw a comedian asking about it. What venues in New York require the audience to wear masks? And I thought, None, none. Yeah, literally none. Um, I've never seen that. Like I haven't seen that in months. And yeah, um, yeah, that's wild. So then now we're we're on our we're 
on our way out of the pandemic. We're, you know, obviously you're on tour now. How, what did it look like? Sort of, you know, you talk about people making these hard decisions of like going back on the road, going to venues. When did you start to perform kind of like normally again? And how has that progression been for you? Cause obviously you're doing very well right now. Um, Thank you. I mean, <laughs> it's, it started gradually in, in 2021. I, I forget when New York really started doing the indoor stuff. But it was like I was doing the outdoor shows and uh, in 2020, like I, I remember I went to Connecticut for an outdoor show and it was weird. Like some states, I remember in Connecticut, some guy, he was like, take off your mask. This is when I was still wearing it outside, you know, and uh, and I mean, to, to be blunt, the guy that I performed with, he he uh, started doing indoor shows and he died of COVID in uh, end of 2020. Oh um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I just forget if it was like at the end of 2020, if I maybe did some of these socially distanced indoor shows where people were separated by things, I forget the exact timeline of it. Um, but it just hit a point where 2021, the weekend started coming in, New York was open and I, I wasn't going to say no. I, I think. I, I'm sure there was, I'm sure I did it. I'm sure at the very beginning, there were probably one or two where like, it was right on that line where I felt very guilty. And I was like, is this okay? But it's legal in Connecticut. Um, I don't think I had gotten COVID. Uh, then, so, so I just did it, you know, and, and I would wear a mask after the show, but, but of course audience members would come up I remember in Connecticut, they, they came up with the rule that if you were eating, you didn't have to wear a mask in the audience. And so what they did is the, the club just gave everyone a, a bowl of chips and so they could claim they were eating and then they took off their mask. You know, these rules were so, you know, and I would wear a mask after the show, but audience members would, I was selling merch, which again, like I, I wanted, I needed the money and audience members would come right up. I remember with some woman, she was celebrating her 60th birthday and she wanted a picture. And then she was like, take off the mask for the picture. And I was like, I'm wearing this for you. I'll be okay. You're the one that's going to die. Are you in your <laughs> fucking mind? <laughs> but, you know, gradually the, the host comes up to you and says, hey, what do you want me to say before I bring you on stage? And you're like, well, that's COVID there. And then <laughs> the audience eventually, eventually I, I kind of gave up where I, I got the vaccine and I had a breakthrough case after the first two doses. Uh, and it was brutal. I mean, I was in pain. I was in pain, so much pain. But once I was better, I just, I just did, I did shows and, and Omicron came at the end of 2021 and every comedian, it felt like so many comedians got Omicron and, uh, you know, it's hard to know. Maybe I did get it, but I didn't have symptoms or who the fuck knows. But at a certain point, I couldn't fool myself. I'm in a basement, a, a crowded basement, performing for people who are saying hi to me after the show. I'm with other comedians who we, we must be spreading it. And you, I just gave up at a, at a certain point in terms of, of worrying about myself. Uh, I'm taking this risk. I'm fortunate. I, I'm, I'm 33. I am, have the booster. Uh, but I'm on airplanes now. I'm on airplanes now. I'm at shows. So I do kind of exist in a world where I'm fully taking whatever comes my way. 
Um, and I, I don't know what the other what the other route is. I mean, if you were hyper successful, maybe you could be more safe about it. But the world I live, I'm in Oklahoma City. I'm in a I'm in a room where a lot of people are not vaccinated. I know it. I know people when they got rid of that rule where you had to be vaccinated to go into venues, they wrote me and they'd say, yay, I can finally see you. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> why? <laughs> but what are you going to do at a certain point? At a certain point, you live in the world and you can either participate in live entertainment or you can't. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comparing COVID to other diseases, but we did exist in a world where live entertainment spread illness and the flu and COVID is a different thing. There's, I'm not, there's no way I'm comparing it to the flu, but I'm saying like, we each have to decide, are we going to participate in the world uh, as it stands right now? Or are you going to wait? And if you're going to wait, what are you going to wait for? What's your line? Um, and everyone has their own answer to that. And uh, it's fucking tough, yeah. fucking tough. It's so true. And it's so interesting how you put it as like, it's all just this like gerrymandering of ethics because it's so an issue where it's like, there's no one right answer. It's just like, this is what's happening here. This is what's happening there. Uh, but you're talking a lot about uh, travel and slowly getting back in there. And you also mentioned that now where we sit, you're touring the country doing comedy. What is that like? How did that get started? Just how's it going? <laughs> I mean, I just got lucky. I, I, have, an, I have an agent um a touring agent and i filmed a special in 2020 outdoors like a socially distanced outdoor courtyard show uh where we sat audience members in pods that's when we were still talking about our pods and um it was like 25 people maybe which is not a lot and i i, I didn't feel ready to record an album but I had all this COVID material that I knew was going to be dated. I had all this election material that I knew was going to uh, uh, expire. So I filmed something. And uh, again, it was that thing where some people were feeling okay about outdoor shows, but it was stressful. I was stressful that they, they'd go, a uh, third wave has broken out and it's been traced to the live comedy recording of John Marcos Teresa. Um, <laughs> but... I, I filmed that thing. I put it on Amazon Prime. 800-pound uh, Gorilla released it as an album. It got nominated for some stuff. NPR gave it a good review. And I think that uh, really moved the needle. It helped my agent. It, it made people just think, oh, he's a... Uh, even though I produced it myself with, with some other people, they were like, oh, he's a, he's a real comedian. And I just think that that kind of became a calling card where some clubs gave me a chance. And it started in 2020 with a couple weekends here and there. And um, between the special, bulking up the social media, uh, uh, and then filming a set for Comedy Central last year, I, I think just things just started rolling. And um, I've, I think I've been on the road kind of the last eight weekends. Uh, it's tough. It's a tough life. Um, it's, it can be uncomfortable. It's tough to stay healthy physically, food. Um, but it's, uh, and then you go some places and you go like, fuck, how do you fill, fill a room in Spokane, Washington? Uh, <laughs> some clubs, they, they really, they have their own inbuilt audience. Others, it feels like they're totally dependent on you to do it. And you have to figure that out. And, um, 
some weekends are tough and you do shows and you're like, I fucking flew somewhere for an, a show for eight people. Uh, but it's, it's moving and I'm, I'm working really hard to build up an email list and text list and continue the social media and learn how to turn the social media into ticket sales. And uh, I have a team, a social media person, a PR person, and um, it's, it's hard. It's very hard. But uh, I, I do love doing these long, long sets at night, these hour, hour, 15 minute long sets. So this is what I'm doing and trying to, to build, build a following on the road. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of hitting the end of our podcast before we sign off. We like to ask um, our podcast guests about like either what's the best advice they've ever gotten or on the flip side, is there any advice like through the things you've learned in your life that you would like to give? It's so, it's so hard. I mean, in terms of, I, I think the advice, which I feel like I've been given on, at different iterations or I've just seen from other people is like, you just have to, um, you have to finish things. And by that, I mean, like, there can be a lot of spinning your wheels in whether it's acting or stand-up comedy. Um, there can be a lot of like, especially in comedy, and I'm still guilty of this, where it's like you just do spots and you just work on new material and you you just work and work and work and you never go, okay, I'm going to film a thing and, and, and get to the end point. Uh, I'm going to, you know, start the podcast and, and, and release it. Uh, I'm going to start a show and, and in acting, especially it's like, okay, you, you, you gotta, at some point make a product. Um, and I always lean towards like, I want to work and I want to write and I want to make it better. And I want to fine tune. And still, I would say the turning point for my standup career was when I filmed shelf life, that special outdoors. And it's because then people who ultimately that's the goal is for people to want to see me perform. People went, Oh, look, he made a thing. Here's a thing I can consume. Um, and I think it can be uh, tough to do that, but, but the people who succeed, they, they, uh, they push themselves to like finish things, even when they're not perfect. So I think that's ultimately is, is, it's that old adage of don't let uh, perfect be the enemy of good. Um, and it's hard. And it's one that I struggle with too. Even now it's like, you know, should I, uh, should I record an album this year or do I, do I wait? Do you wait for the industry to do stuff? But the industry is, is kind of crumbling, at least in terms of stand up. It feels very fractured um, unless you're at the top, unless you're one of the top a hundred comedians working right now. So, I, I think that's just the overall advice that I try to exist by is don't let perfect be the enemy of good and finish things. Just fucking finish things. I think that's great advice. That's amazing advice. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we close out on this podcast, is there anything you want to promote? Shows, social media, anything? Sure. Um, well, they can find me everywhere uh, at my name, at Joe Marco Cerezi, all the social media platforms. And then my podcast, The Downside with Joe Marco Cerezi is a good listen. Um, and, you know, if you, if you want to see me on the road, I have a text list, an email list. You can find it on all the social medias. And that's the way to find out when I'm coming to your city.
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Laughing Your Mask Off. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a good review. To keep up with our hosts, follow Catherine at Catherine.Cowan and Carly at Carly Palestina on Instagram. See you next week.